You're listening to The Living Word with Danny Hodges of Calvary Chapel Fellowship in St. Pete. Ephesians chapter 2, he himself is our peace, who has made the two one. The two. Technically, you know, in the Bible, you're looking at two groups of people. If you're not Jewish, you're Gentile. Are you with me? If you're not Jewish, you're Gentile. He's made the two, Jew and Gentile, one. And it's destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility. His purpose was to create in himself one new man out of the two, thus making peace. One of the rather unfortunate realities of our fallen world is that prejudice and hate towards different people groups is all too common. As much as we strive for peace through legislation or otherwise, the reality is that the heart is the root of the issue. In today's message, Pastor Danny reflects on the new man that's made possible through faith in Jesus Christ. In his study, you'll gain a better understanding of what it means to be one in Christ and how there's no more need for barriers between tribe, tongue, or nation. Now here's Pastor Danny in the book of Leviticus, chapter 23, as he continues his message, The Feasts of the Lord. Verse 15, chapter 23, from the day after the Sabbath, the day you brought the sheaf of the wave offering, count off seven full weeks. Count off 50 days up to the day after the seventh Sabbath, and then present an offering of new grain to the Lord. From wherever you live, bring two loaves made of two tenths of an ephah of fine flour, baked with yeast. I underline that. Baked with yeast. Two loaves, baked with yeast. As a wave offering of first fruits to the Lord. Present... With this bread, seven male lambs, each a year old and without defect, one young bull and two rams. They will be a burnt offering to the Lord together with their grain offerings and drink offerings, an offering made by fire and aroma pleasing to the Lord. Then sacrifice one male goat for a sin offering, two two lambs, each a year old for a fellowship offering. The priest is to wave the two lambs before the Lord as a wave offering together with the bread of the first fruits. They are a sacred offering to the Lord for the priest. On that same day, you're to proclaim a sacred assembly and do no regular work. There again is that rest. God says that over and over again, rest. This is to be a lasting ordinance for the generations to come wherever you live. And then he adds this, when you reap the harvest of your land, do not reap the, to the very edges of your field or gather the gleanings of your harvest. Leave them for the poor and the alien. I'm the Lord your God. And he wants us to be like him. This is the feast of weeks. It's also called the feast of Pentecost. Pentecost uh, simply means 50. Well, that's why we call it the Feast of Pentecost, because you count off seven weeks, and then the 50th day, Pentecost, you celebrate this feast. Now, two loaves were baked with leaven. That's important. Several possibilities, but there's a main point. It's the main point. 
Well, two really. Hebrews chapter 10 and verse 14. By one sacrifice, he has made perfect forever those who are being made holy. Two loaves baked with leaven. Truth is, I'm holy uh, by faith in the sacrifice of Jesus Christ, but practically speaking, uh, I still got some issues. And so do you. But what's the main point? Acts chapter 2, let me just, uh, you probably know what Acts chapter 2 is. On the day of Pentecost, Holy Spirit comes down, fills those believers. They begin to speak in this uh, wonderful gift of tongues. A crowd is drawn because of the sound of the rushing mighty wind. The crowd shows up. One guy says they're drunk. Peter says they're not drunk. This is the fulfillment of prophecy. And then he quotes uh, Joel, you know, about the spirit being poured out. And then Peter uh, gets up and among those thousands of people that have gathered uh, now because God got their attention from what's happening, uh, he preaches Jesus. He preaches the gospel. 3,000 people get saved. You continue to read through the book of Acts, God speaks to Peter, and Peter goes to the house of a Gentile, uncircumcised Gentile named Cornelius. Cornelius, anticipating Peter's coming, he's got his house full of people, full of people, probably family, probably neighbors, friends, and Peter walks in knowing he's violating, violating Jewish tradition, knowing he's going to get criticized for it. He's going into a Gentile's house with a whole room full of Gentiles defiling himself. Remember, to get Peter to go, uh, he has that vision. God shows it to him three times. He's there on the roof and the vision of the unclean animals. And God says, get up, Peter, kill and eat. He says, no, I've been kosher my whole life. Well, God's trying to teach him something. That God's offering salvation to the Gentiles just like he offers to the Jews. On the same basis, by grace through faith. The Jews didn't deserve it. They thought they did. Peter preaches, 3,000 get saved, but then he take, takes him to Cornelius' house and all that whole room full of people, Gentiles, get saved. And all of a sudden, the Gentiles just start getting saved left and right. God calls Paul and Barnabas and they have a ministry primarily to the Gentiles. And a whole host of Gentiles comes in and the Jews begin to realize, Peter and the apostles, hey, God's offered the Gentiles exactly what he gave us. You say, what's the point? Ephesians chapter 2, he himself is our peace, who has made the two one, the two. Technically, you know, in the Bible, you're looking at two groups of people. If you're not Jewish, you're Gentile. Are you with me? If you're not Jewish, you're Gentile. He's made the two, Jew and Gentile, one. And it's destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility. His purpose was to create in himself one new man out of the two, thus making peace. Let me give you a cool uh, history fact. In the ancient temple, Herod's temple, there was a wall that separated the court of the Gentiles from the rest of the temple, where the Jews could go, and only Gentiles could go in one part, and only Jews were allowed to go in another. And on this wall were inscriptions in Latin and Greek. In excavations in 1871 and then in 1934, they discovered two of these inscriptions. And here's how they translate. No foreigner may enter within the barricade which surrounds the sanctuary and enclosure. Anyone who was caught doing so will have himself to blame for his ensuing death. That's how serious it was. The inscriptions they have now on display um, in a museum in Istanbul and in the Rockefeller Center in Jerusalem. At least last I checked. Acts 21, the apostle Paul's in Jerusalem, and they had previously, the crowd, seen Trophimus 
who is a Gentile. He's an Ephesian in the city with Paul. And they assumed, assumed that Paul had brought him into the temple area. Acts tells us the whole city was aroused. The people came running in all directions, seizing Paul. They dragged him from the temple and immediately the gates were shut while they were trying to kill him because they assumed he had brought a Gentile where only Jews were allowed there in the temple area. And so they were going to kill him. God providentially spared Paul's life. But it tells us how serious that division was. The Feast of Pentecost. Oh, man. God has now offered salvation freely. By grace are we saved. Through faith. And we're all saved the same way. And we're on the same level. As somebody said, it's all level ground at the cross. At the cross. We all come the same way. So, let's shift gears. 754. These first four feasts, they were celebrated in the spring. And all four have been fulfilled. What they teach us. Passover is the cross. Unleavened bread is our sanctification, which is a natural thing that happens if you've really applied the blood. You want to live a pure life? You want to live a pleasing life to the Lord? You want the yeast out of your life? First fruits is resurrection. Now, I say it's happening that Jesus has been resurrected. Our resurrection is still future, but the basis of our resurrection is the fact that Jesus is resurrected. Are you with me? So in that sense, it's already been fulfilled. And then Pentecost is the church. And we've been grafted in, spiritually speaking, to Israel. God's made the two one. Cool stuff. Okay, next one. We've got to finish the last three. Verse 23. Oh, I love this one. The Lord said to Moses, say to the Israelites, on the first day of the seventh month, you're to have a day of rest. There it gives again. Rest. Trust me. The sacred assembly commemorated with trumpet blasts. Do no regular work, but present an offering made to the Lord by fire. By the way, just uh, interesting, prophetically, we are living right now, presently in between Pentecost and this next feast, the Feast of Trumpets. And it's not just one trumpet. Did you get that? It's not just one trumpet, not just one trumpet. The Feast of Trumpets is connected with something in a lot of verses in the Old Testament called the Day of the Lord. I won't take the time to turn to them, but Joel chapter 1, Joel chapter 3, Amos chapter 5, Zechariah 14, Malachi 4, lots of places talks about the day of the Lord. And there are two major themes associated with what's called the day of the Lord. One is the deliverance of the righteous. And second is the judgment of the wicked. The day of the Lord is what we're studying in Revelation right now, that final tribulation period. And God's going to bring about full redemption for those who know him. And then he's going to bring about a completion of his wrath for those who don't know him. The day of the Lord. The feast of trumpets. It starts, Revelation chapter 4, I heard a trumpet, a voice like a trumpet, John says, and I was raptured. I was raptured. It begins with the rapture of the church. At least I, I pray it does. I hope I got my theology right on that one. And then throughout where we're studying in Revelation, 
what do you have? Seven trumpet judgments. Seven trumpet judgments. And from the seventh trumpet judgment, the seven bowl judgments. But this is the feast of trumpets. It's yet future. It's the day of the Lord. And then number six, chapter 23, Leviticus, verse 26. The Lord said to Moses, the 10th day of this seventh month is the day of atonement. Hold a sacred assembly, deny yourselves, present an offering made to the Lord by fire. Do no work on that day because it is the day of atonement. When atonement is made for you before the Lord your God. And I want to say this too many times, but again, he says, do no work, rest, trust me. Anyone who does not deny himself on that day must be cut off from his people. I'll destroy from among his people anyone who does any work on that day. You shall do no, no work at all. This is to be a lasting ordinance for the generations to come wherever you live. It's a Sabbath of rest for you, and you must deny yourselves. From the evening of the ninth day of the night uh, of the month until the following evening, you're to observe your Sabbath. Now, the Day of Atonement is unique to all the seven feasts because it's the only one there was to be a solemn assembly. It wasn't, well, most of them are exciting, but this one's, you know, a bit uh, solemn. Now, we looked at the Day of Atonement in detail last time uh, in Leviticus chapter 16. And of course, we related, rightly so, Leviticus 16 of the Day of Atonement to Aaron the priest, and I won't get, go back through all that because we covered it in the detail, and how Aaron is a type of our great high priest, Jesus, uh, and yet a total different priesthood in Jesus because Christ never had to offer blood for his own uh, cleansing, you know, and never had to offer any sacrifice for his own cleansing. Uh, and so we went through all that. I won't go back, back through that. And while the Day of Atonement speaks typically as a type of the one for all, all for one sacrifice of Jesus on the cross, it also speaks prophetically of a future day when this will be fulfilled. And Paul uh, takes several Old Testament prophetic passages and puts them in here in Romans chapter 11. And I just gave you a snippet of it. Israel has experienced a hardening in part until the full number of the Gentiles has come in. And so all Israel will be saved as it is written. The deliverer will come from Zion. He'll turn godlessness away from Jacob, Israel. And this is my covenant with them when I take away their sins. It's really cool. I didn't put it on the PowerPoint, but if you go back in Romans chapter 11 and look at verse 15, here's what it says. If there, Israel's rejection is the reconciliation of the world. In other words, they're for the most part in blindness. There's a remnant of Jews that are messianic. They believe that Jesus is the Messiah. But for the most part, Israel's in blindness because of their rejection of Jesus, their Messiah. If their reconciliation, uh, rejection is the reconciliation of the world, the gospel's gone now to the Gentiles, for the most part, what will their acceptance be but life from the dead? In other words, when this is fulfilled and all Israel is saved, we're almost done. Life from the dead. It's time for resurrection. Daniel chapter 12. Those who sleep will arise, some to everlasting contempt, some to everlasting life. Now, let me take the time and very quickly go back. You like to go back with me. Zechariah chapter 12. And Zechariah tells us why this is a solemn feast. A solemn feast. Zechariah chapter 12. Only take a moment. 
somewhere in the Old Testament, Zechariah chapter 12 and verse 10. I'll pour out on the house of David and the inhabitants of Jerusalem a spirit of grace and supplication. They will look on me, the one they have pierced, and they will mourn for him as one mourns for an only child and grieve bitterly for him as one grieves for a firstborn son. Because they come to the place they realize (laughs) we've been so wrong. We have been so wrong. Be a lot of weeping. And then chapter 13, verse 8, in the whole land declares the Lord, two-thirds will be struck down and perish, yet one-third will be left in it. This third I will bring into the fire. I'll refine them like silver, test them like gold. They'll call on my name, and I'll answer them, and I'll say they are my people, and they will say the Lord is our God. And so when it's fulfilled during the tribulation period, you know, it's just going to be an awful time for the nation of Israel. But in the process of the awfulness that happens in that tribulation period, uh, there will be a complete purging, and these scriptures will come true, and in one day all Israel will be saved. And that's what the Day of Atonement prophetically speaks of and looks forward to. One last one back in Leviticus chapter 23 and verse 33. The Lord said to Moses, say to the Israelites on the 15th day of the seventh month, the Lord's Feast of Tabernacles begins and it lasts for seven days. The first day is a sacred assembly. Do no regular work. There it is again. Rest. Trust me. For seven days, present offerings made to the Lord by fire. And on the eighth day, hold a sacred assembly and present an offering made to the Lord by fire. It's the closing assembly. Do no regular work. And then he closes, and I don't think I'm going to read all of the last of that. These are the Lord's appointed feast, which you're to proclaim as sacred assemblies for bringing offerings made to the Lord by fire. And uh, I will read beginning in verse 39. So beginning with the 15th day of the seventh month, after you've gathered the crops of the land, celebrate the festival to the Lord, the festival here of tabernacles for seven days. The first day is a day of rest. The eighth day is also a day of rest. It's also called the feast of ingathering because it's after the harvest. It's also called sometimes the feast of booths because the Israelites would make these little shelters, these little booths, and they would dwell in them during the days of the feast of tabernacles. Now, bear with me for just a minute. Of all the seven feasts, this is the most joyous. This is the one filled with the most joy. Rightly so because of what it prophetically speaks of. At the Feast of Tabernacles, every morning, great multitudes would gather at the temple. They would bring a citrus fruit in one hand as a reminder of the promised land of which God had brought them to. In the other hand, they carried what's called a lullab. It was a combination of three trees, a palm, a willow, and a myrtle, emblematic of the journey through the wilderness. The priests would hold out a golden pitcher. The crowds would follow him to the pool of Siloam. Siloam means sent one. So they go to the pool of the sent one. When they reached the pool, the priest would dip the pitcher in and the people would recite Isaiah chapter 12, verse 3. With joy, you will draw water from the wells of salvation. The water was to typify the water from the rock, Exodus 17, 1 Corinthians 10. They would then march back to the temple, enter through the water gate to the blast of the priest's trumpets. As they came to the inner court of the temple, lights from a huge candelabra 
which reminded them of the pillar of fire by night, which guided them through the desert. Then they, they reached the altar. The priest would circle it once. He would ascend with other priests accompanying him to the platform, and he would pour out the waters of salvation. On the seventh and final day of the feast, same ritual would be followed, but when the priest reached the altar, this time he would circle the altar how many times? Seven times. Good class. When he came around the sixth time, he'd be joined by another priest carrying wine, representing joy. The crowd would chant Psalm 118, verse 25, O Lord, save us, O Lord, grant us success. They would ascend the ramp to the altar, and one final time, this time with a pause, he would pour out the waters of salvation on the altar. Seven days. The Feast of Tabernacles. Let me take you to one cool passage. John chapter 7. John chapter 7. And you find it. Go down to verse 37. On the last and greatest day of the feast. It's the Feast of Tabernacles they're celebrating here. On the last and greatest day of the feast, Jesus stood and said in a loud voice, If anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, streams of living water will flow from within him. They were going through the motions every year, every Feast of Tabernacles, but they were missing the point. And they were missing Jesus. And so on the last and greatest day of the Feast of Tabernacles, he stands up and he says those words. Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14, the virgin will be with child and will give birth to a son and will call him Emmanuel. You know what that means? God with us. Chapter 9, Isaiah verse 7, of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end. When Jesus comes and tabernacles among us. That's the Feast of Tabernacles. It's when God comes and he dwells with us. Its ultimate fulfillment is beyond what we call the millennial kingdom, the thousand-year reign of Christ. Its ultimate fulfillment we'll see in the end of the book of Revelation. Revelation chapter 21. Say it. Come on, say it loud. Really. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Now the dwelling of God is with men, and he will live with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. Imagine that. I mean... Oh, man, what a blessed people we are. What a good God we serve. Thank God for the prophetic messages in all the feasts. Four, fulfilled. Of course, the one, first fruits, fulfilled in Christ's resurrection, ultimate fulfillment when we are resurrected. And then three more, and the final one, when God actually comes and dwells among us. What a day it's going to be. 
We're so glad you joined us today on The Living Word. Thanks for being a part of our listening audience. If you want to hear today's message again, please visit ccfstpete.church. You're also invited to join our Bible reading plan. Just look under the resources tab on our website for more information. This is a great way to dive into the Word. As we wrap up our time with you today, we'd like to take a moment to ask you to partner with us here on The Living Word. Would you join with us in praying for the listeners of this program? Everyone deserves the chance to be changed by the love of Christ, so please pray that anyone listening remains open to hearing the gospel message. Pray for soft hearts to receive the grace that Jesus has for all. Please pray also for us, that we'd continue seeking God's will for this program, and that we'd have the courage to follow Him wherever He might lead. As you pray, please consider if God would lead you to support us financially in some capacity. If you'd like to partner with us in this way, please visit our website at ccfstpete.church and click on the online giving guide under Forms. Thanks for praying with and for us. How can we pray for you? Let us know by emailing us at info at ccfstpete.church. With that, we've come to the end of our time with you today. Thanks for tuning in for The Living Word. 